I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Startup Nightmares. Startup Nightmares is a podcast that aims to inspire those who work in the startup world to do the best work they can, the best way possible, while dodging some bullets doing so. Let's just be a bit more human here. All of these people started needing stuff from me. Don't feel like you're on your own, because you're, you're never on your own. But I'm paying this person a good wage, why isn't that enough? And that doesn't make me special. What is making me special is my deeper story. People need a sense of purpose to feel motivated in their job. Wake up at five in the morning and like go to the gym for an hour. Like, what the fuck is that? You're sitting at your desk crying and you're like, what happened? I had no idea how to monetize anything. I was like, ah, everybody gets a title. You get a title. You get a title. Either pay me or I will sue you. All of our guests have been to the dark side of the innovation ecosystem and came back to tell their tale. You can use this. This is how you get there. It is not a secret anymore. My name is Tal Shmueli, and I will be your host. Hey, Paul. Hi. (laughs) Very well. Thank you for coming to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Let's start with the simple questions. Who are you? What do you do and why do you do it? So uh, who am I? Well, I'll start with, I suppose, professionally. I'm head of operations and part of the leadership team at a company called WorkLife. We are a co-working provider. So hot desking, shared space, as well as private offices. Now, what do I do with that? I suppose I, I technically, I look after the operations team, the membership teams and the sales what do I really think I do? I suppose I see my role as a bit of a custodian of the business and also a facilitator for other people to do excellent work. And I therefore, I'm sure we'll get into it, spend a lot of my time trying to serve others who are very skilled and very capable to achieve what they're looking to achieve. In turn, hopefully that supports the business goals. Um, why do I do it? It's a really good question. I'm not sure I've been quite so self-reflective. Uh, a philosophical level, but I can tell you I enjoy what I do. Tell us a little bit about your work in hospitality. What do you there in the first place? Yeah, no, I'd love to. Um, it feels a bit old-fashioned, actually, coming into businesses that are a little bit more tech-savvy to come out of a hospitality background, but there's something quite appealing in kind of, I suppose, a bricks-and-mortar business, which is what it is. I got into it by accident. I was at university. Uh, I decided that I didn't want to go and get a job behind a till somewhere to pay my way through. So somehow convinced somewhere that I could DJ. <laughs> and <laughs> so DJ. Um, that was the segue in. Yeah. Um, I decided that, yeah, it would be more interesting to run the events. And we actually started a little promotions business, I guess you'd call it. And we convinced some venues that maybe we could run an event for them and fill the, fill the venue. And for whatever reason, they trusted us on, on no track record and <laughs> no evidence to, towards it. And it was myself and a friend of mine who um, joined on and he uh, he can he could DJ as well. And he was able to do a bit of design work. And we, we essentially just formulated some, some club events and did pretty well and made a good little living through university. And it segued into doing something more full time. So I got towards the end of my degree and had no idea what I wanted to do in life, which I think is probably quite normal. But you feel like you've got all the time in the world, or certainly I did, and thought uh, w- was offered the opportunity to come on board one of the one of the businesses I've been working with, and thought that 
spending a year throwing parties, booking cool DJs and, you know, helping people have a really great time was a good way to spend a year before I figured out what I really wanted to do. And that was the, the, the route in. And I think what attracted me to it beyond that really was, I've always had a bit of a buzz for serving others. And I think being able to quantify success by the smiles on other people's faces and those following days and weeks where people are talking about the memories of that was a real buzz and something really stimulating and it fed my passion to do that more but you know I understood that I had a passion for standards as well and equality you know I didn't want to have the cheapest product on the market I always found that very difficult um I wanted to trade at a price point where we could do something pretty cool and so gravitated towards I suppose call it the premium sector within hospitality but trying to provide a real level of service and again being able to work to a market that can choose what they want to do with their money and time and being lucky enough that they've chosen you and hopefully being able to match and then beat some expectations that are already pretty high in in a very demanding, very saturated market. And that's what I saw as the challenge. I really enjoyed that. And, and I think that, that kind of carried me through my whole time, you know, peaks and troughs of all, as, as with all roles and all careers. But um, that would be, that never really left me. And I still think I have that today. So from being a person who wakes up at uh, 10 p.m. to a person who's in bed by 10 p.m., yeah. I think one of the things I admire about you is you try to form, even in all that chaos that is operations, sales, and marketing, you try and form some sort of a linear routine. If you wanted to go into that, because I think it's an interesting topic for, for all of us, you know, that isn't something that comes naturally. I, maybe it does for some, and it's some, certainly something that hasn't been with me my whole life, and it's something I've had to learn and continue to work on and but you're absolutely right you have to get command over your time and your routines and your habits in order to hopefully be more successful and, and cover more ground and contribute more so so walk me through it because you you're in a hyper social environment half of the company bonding is done around drinking together yeah i mean how do you maintain this level of outgoingness and sociability and stay true to the habits you want to form talking specifically about drinking the team I, I work with and one of the reasons I you know love the business I'm in and the group of people I, I work with are number one we've got some really incredible personalities people are very honest and open and, and very much themselves at work one of the things we when we talk about work life by the way and I, don't, I won't get into it too much but it isn't about work-life balance per se it's more about removing the barrier between work and life and this whole kind of putting on your work character all day, tie goes on, suit goes on, knock goes up. You're, you know, you have to hide your personality all day and then five o'clock, thank God the bell goes, tie comes off and you can be you again. It's removing that. So I will say one of the things that gives this context is the people I, I work with are brilliant people who are very honest about themselves and, and make me feel very comfortable to not have to hide things and pretend I drink when I don't or, you know, Eat, eat the cake at the birthday because that's the right thing to do. So I'm in a really fortunate situation that is by design, I think, in terms of how the business has, has kind of our culture and how we set our store up, that I feel very comfortable being me. Um, that definitely doesn't mean I can't go and join in occasions. That definitely doesn't mean I can't take my team out. I try not to be any sort of a, a warrior in terms of drinking is bad for you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I certainly not want to judge anybody else. And I see its values certainly in terms of, like you say, social and bonding. But I think there's other ways to bond. And I also think if you're an accepting group of people, then the drink in your hand isn't going to define that relationship. I was mind blown by that. And I don't think you could have done it if it wasn't for the support you were getting from your founding team. hundred percent. I want to say here, David and Elliot built an incredible business that I've been fortunate enough to join and be able to play a part in. And also Rochelle, who works with us in, in a role that spans so much, but a part of that is the recruitment piece. You have to work very, very hard to make it feel that effortless. And a lot of people have done that over a long time. And there's a lot of synergy in terms of what we're looking for and who is a good fit. And it's very authentic. I think that's key. It's not forced. It's not a case of these are the 10 commandments, so we've all got to live by them, whether we like it or not. It's these are the things we value and these are the behaviors that we'd like to demonstrate. Let's go and find people who agree. And I think that's come through and hopefully that's what you felt that the people you've met are warm because they're warm people and they like people and they're yeah. empathetic and they they're caring and that's because we looked really hard for those traits in the people around us and that's because we believe that's the way you should be right culture takes so much intent and i'd want to learn from you more about that and i also want us to talk about retention because uh, you know employee retention in the nightlife and hospitality probably yeah. one of the lowest really tough yeah you know it varies a lot but it, it, you're absolutely right to say it is about as high turnover as, as you're going to get 
in a sector. I mean, I've worked in businesses where it was quite common that, you know, people wouldn't make it through probation. And you'd have a 60 to 70% drop off in that first three months. What you would see, though, and this was an interesting um, fact to get your hands on, which is those that do tend to last quite a long time. And it says a lot about if you get that bit right in that first three months, and ultimately that's one of the big things I learned, is if you get that welcome and that onboarding right, you usually get rewarded in some great loyalty and some great work. I learned a lot from hospitality about retention, specifically as a subject, through a lot of trial and error and a lot of mistakes and a lot of witnessing good and bad as well. You rightly say it's hugely competitive. It's big teams. There's a lot of challenges around the sector in general and whether people perceive it as a career versus a quick job to bring in a bit of extra income and the whole concept of maybe being a low skill discipline or not a discipline at at the basic level. And that potentially... What that does is probably attract a large pool of people who maybe aren't right for you in terms of their motivations. You know, we do, so referring back to work life, one thing I think Rochelle in particular is incredibly good at is really try to understand if somebody's being pushed or pulled between roles. So when we look back at somebody's career journey, did they move into that role because they were pulled toward it because the business went, reached out to them and said, you are incredible, we really, really want you, or because they were passionate about the cause or because it was a great development experience for them and the natural next steps in their career or they push towards it because they're just not very happy in their previous role and they just wanted to change you know and it's trying to get into the detail of things like that on the recruitment front again to find the right people that are motivated in the right way i think once you've got people who are motivated well and there for the right reasons and again behaviorally aligned and 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 i talk about behaviors more than values because i actually think it's what they it's what's tangible is how you demonstrate those values through your behaviors then hopefully you're on to a good start and you're starting to form a decent team what you said about being pushed or pulled into a role really resonated what advice would you give to people who now realize they're actually not where they should be mm. yeah um tough one and i suppose the answer is it, it depends there are probably practical reasons why someone is in a role we've all been there i think is another thing to say and also pushed from roles i think ultimately it matters that you feel engaged by what you're doing every day. Think about, you know, we mentioned reference the 90,000 hours quote, but ultimately think about the fact that five days out of seven, you're, or, or, you know, for most is what you'll be dedicating to somebody else's cause. I think it's really important that what you're doing is something you would want to do, you know, whether you're paid or not to a point, you know, appreciate maybe we wouldn't all get out of bed at six in the morning for something that we do every day if we were paid to do it but to a point you're engaged in what you're doing and you, and you care about the outcome and you care about the people you're doing it with and for and if you're not feeling that on a daily basis as I say there are other factors I think that would be a hard thing to sustain long term so I suppose the best advice I could give is perhaps call that early if that is the way you're feeling and start to seek something out that would engage you on a daily basis because I think you need to love it to be good at it and, to be, and you need to be good at it to be successful at it but in a world that admires resilience and perseverance and mm. hustle porn, I mean, it's hard to say when I'm in the wrong place versus I just need to power through until times will get better. 100%. And that's a really good point. Resilience and perseverance are great traits, but you need to be resilient in the right areas. And picking your battles is also a really good one. You know, you can persevere to climb the tallest ladder in the world, but if it's taking up the wrong building, then you haven't gained anything. You've actually lost a little bit. You've got to come back down to climb again. So I think it's understanding that you can be resilient and you can just as easily make the right choices and decide what you're putting your efforts and energy and resilience into isn't the right direction for you. And course correct and go again. So I guess it's about uh, managing an investment, but instead of uh, financial, it's uh, energetical. It's one good way to look at it. If that, if that, if that is a, that might be an interesting way to think about it in order to be more objective. I often use the thought process of, if it wasn't me and it was somebody else that was asking for advice, what would I tell them? And that takes a little bit of the subjectivity out of it. And I find that useful for me. Mm-hmm. And I found it useful sometimes when speaking with my managers about how they would deal with certain situations or address certain decisions. If it wasn't you and you were giving advice to a friend or someone you trust, someone you care about, what would you say to them? And if you'd say different, then perhaps you should take your own advice. Yeah. What's interesting to me in speaking with you is that your priorities from the get-go were very clear. So how do you get culture to a point where it's that important that you actually put it, you don't even write it down because this is the first thing anyway. No one has to dispute it. It doesn't need to be written on a wall yeah. to be to be the first, the number one priority. I think the simplest way to answer that is I 
felt an incredible sense of alignment to Elliot and David. And I work closely with Elliot in terms of this this side of things. So, so certainly, especially Elliot, uh, in terms of the fact that we both are completely agreed that we're people, people, and we believe that success is through exceptional people. Um, and if you have that as a cornerstone of how you think about organisations, um, and by the way, huge sports fan, love to reference sports and things, and I and I often try to bridge sporting success and sporting organisations and business organisations. Not always perfect, but but often. You know, again, the manager isn't on the pitch. It's the 11 players, it's football, on the pitch that are going to do the work. And it's not 11 players individually, it's 11 players as a team. So it's about delivering through others. And that then leads to the next thought, which is, well, we need others to be exceptional. We need to help them. And our job is to serve them. And I don't know whether this comes from my hospitality background and that kind of service mindset, but I very much see the core of my job is to serve the people that I'm responsible to. And again, my philosophy as a leader and a manager is that I'm responsible to these people more than they are to me. To help them be exceptional, to help that role flourish, we gotta we gotta teach them some stuff, you know. And I think it's also about being pragmatic and looking at the picture. You know, my first month or so and beyond, uh, and still was about learning where work life was, the journey taken so far, the challenges. I like to ask people about what 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 they would change if they could. What's frustrating them? What's Do you get honest answers? Uh, I felt like I did. I felt yeah. like I did. And again, I think that speaks volumes of the culture there in terms of people feeling they can be themselves and be honest and there's no reproach. And I wanted to know what, what people felt wasn't happening for them, what was maybe block, what blockers were they up against to feel like they were succeeding and thriving. And there were multiple areas that, that came through, sometimes clearly and sometimes less obviously, but you could kind of read through the trends. And I think ultimately the answer is we could support a lot of this. Some of it was in org design. Some of it was in behavioral stuff that we put in some of it was in the ways we communicate as an organization the ways we collaborate with each other and some of it was in about growing mindset and skill set particularly in soft skills transferable skills yeah. across the team so i suppose lnd being the full phrase for it very high on the agenda when you start a business you start yourself and then you start to bring on people to support you and you offer them a job and the job is designed to fill a need because it might be outside of your skill set or you just don't have the capacity anymore to support all of these areas and juggle all these things and keep all the plates spinning in this growing business. So you hire people into a job role and they're bought into the, the mission. I think that there's something sexy about startups, particularly at the moment, and you know this generation of, of, of uh, new employees, I think, want to be part of something they can believe in and be close to the mission and close to the core. And all of that's very attractive. As you grow, I think there gets a point where I've been doing this job now for a year, two years, three years, um, What's next? And you need to be able to offer more than a job. You need to be able to offer a career ultimately and a path. And I think that's, for me, was a huge piece and still is of the work that I felt was most important to enable everything else. Yeah. Because if the membership team aren't engaged and the sales teams aren't engaged and the facilities teams don't feel like they can climb that ladder enough to try hard enough to be proud to to have a hugely high standard and have a sense of urgency, then they're not going to deliver no matter how skilled I think I am as a, as a manager. So... We were multiple strands, L&D being one of them. It was about creating and stretching it from what was a job and something that you could do for maybe a year or two and then move on into a career path. And could someone spend a significant amount of time with work life still growing every day, every week, every month, every year, whatever it is? This cannot be replaced. Financial gains are an alternative energy source only to an extent. A hundred percent. So I there's a whole piece around external and internal motivators and, you know, which are more valuable and sustainable in the long term. And I don't think financial incentive plays a part, but I don't think it's the be all and end all that some businesses yeah. lean on. But yes, absolutely. And, and to, to your point, teaching negotiation skills to a team of people who don't need them yet and maybe will at the next level so that when they arrive in that role, they arrive ready to, to do it, you know? So you need to get that. You need to help people be prepared for a future that is uncertain. Yes, Is that a conversation that you guys have or is that an understanding that already exists? I think we're past that stage a little bit. I would describe us more as a scale-up than a startup now, although, as you said, we've launched a new business within the business, which is kind of a startup in a scale-up, so there's some relevance. It's another whole thing. Um, but I think what we have worked hard to do and are better at is probably defining roles a little bit clearer and putting some structure around that. We've taken a few uh, courses of action For instance, we have 
embedded a, a, a kind of a progression framework to give people a better understanding of kind of where they are on their journey, like I suppose what rung of the ladder they're currently on and also what steps are available ahead and sideways and left and right. Knowing you, you're coming at it from a different place. It's like this is a motivation. This 100%. is strictly a motivation piece. You can go about it as fast or as slow as you want, but this is what the next stage looks like. You know, you've got a great backhand. Now let's teach you to serve. You want to be better? This is what that looks like. Let's work on that, you know, and it's... It's understanding what the next steps are and it's helping enable managers to be better at giving focused feedback to people that gives them something to work on to get to that next step. What would you say to folks who are kind of floating in a very fast-paced environment and need some guidance? I would say, firstly, progression frameworks are appropriate at a point of business and maybe in that scenario it's a little too early. But one of the things it does do is protect from that situation. Changes of managers, changes of stimulus, changes of... Business, business pivots in another direction, what that gives you is a bit of consistency into this is what the role looks like, this is what's expected of that role, and here's what the next step looks like. So you could go through six managers, and, and, and if they're capable managers, they should be able to pick up where the last person left off. And it's, it's kind of more the onus on the manager to make sure they are delivering as a manager. Uh, and I think that's how I see that. At that earlier stage, maybe you don't have that framework. I think it's okay that things move around a lot. I think that's part of the excitement of working in a startup. And I think you need to be ready for that and prepare yeah. for that. I'd say you have to, if you are somebody employing somebody into that environment, just be really clear and manage expectations and be upfront about the fact that that's the environment they're coming into. There'll be those who love the fluidity, love the excitement of the changes of direction and picking up new stuff. I, I would fit into that. I love the idea of taking on new projects and challenges. I get bored if the goalposts don't move every now and again and, and new things come into the picture but there are those who really need structure and things to be more systemized and need to be very clear for a long period of time of here's what i'm here to do and here are my goals and this is what success looks like so i think you need to be clear in the in the recruitment phase and bringing people on board that are comfortable and will thrive in that environment and if they won't perhaps they're not right or perhaps you need to create a more structured setup for that person that's very individual how do you structure your recruitment process to look for those very specific, highly identifiable identifiable human traits yeah. that are also very hard to quantify. Yeah, it's a good question. I'm interested to know in your process, if, if, if I could, you talk about culture fit. Did you have a definition to what your culture was and, and therefore who would be a fit and who wouldn't? So we tried to uh, break it down. We looked for startup experience yeah. because if you first day in a startup, if you don't like it, you know. You know, and you are to the very, very quickly. So they need to have done it and liked it before. That's number one. Number two is people who have um, extracurricular interests. So they can't be just walk, walk, walk. We need that extra flair. We need people who are more rounded, that are passionate. Third thing, which I picked from LinkedIn, is a track record of excellence. Mm. People who would identify what excellence looks like and will aspire to get there. If we had those three, we we're like, okay. I mean, they have to be they have to be able to walk in a in a gender diverse environment and that that stuff. But I think that kind of goes without yeah. saying. Yeah. So how do we design it? Um, our process starts with a, I suppose a phone call, which is a, an element of screening, I guess. And what we're trying to get to initially is what you call cultural fit. It's probably a similar thing. We have quite a clear set of values. Um, we've done some work on values to include behavioral statements which is something i was really passionate about i think behavior more than value is is what you want you, how does it live you know because people can interpret values in multiple ways and you need to make sure you're aligned so a bit of a cultural screening is where we start like i said an understanding of whether somebody's being pushed or pulled towards the role what are their motivators what type of person are they as much as we can gather the next stage would be that we would meet somebody in person and what we like to do is go through um their career history but we do it in in a chronological order, which I always find really interesting. So you kind of go back to a point in time in the past in their career and just have a walk their journey with them. You know, there's some science to how we do that, but ultimately I think it's it's quite a useful way of just understanding people's movements, motivations, touching on the things you talked about, how successful were they, what did, what did success look like, how did they quantify it, what did their team think of them? We do a lot of questioning around team and what people thought. And we are very robust in terms of speaking to people. So what would be a, an exemplary question? Uh, we like to know who you, you work for. We like to know what they would say about you or what they will say about you when we speak to them, because we will. Um, we like to know people that work for you, what they will say about you, people you worked on site, how they describe you, what they would have fed back in terms of strength, but also how they would have expected you to develop over time. You know, are people humble enough to take that feedback? Are they self-perceptive enough to understand that these are areas they can improve on? 
Are they people that people like to work with? And do they like to be around people? It's always interesting to hear people talk about their team. I've also found it interesting before to hear someone pretty normal to say, what, what, what would your boss tell you? Less normal to say, when I speak to that person who worked for you, what will they say about you? And it's interesting to see how people react to that. We also test it with our team and we like to make sure people that interview with us, especially the ones that we like and go further in the process, meet a lot of people. And I think that's really key. Um, one of the key traits I'm looking for is empathy and somebody who is a people person and is warm to people and enjoys people. And one of the best ways to test that is to put them in the mix with a lot of different people. One of the steps we've included for membership is is coming in and, and spending some time in one of our spaces with one of our teams. And that is generally to come in and work with the team, meet them all, meet members, interact with people. And we're assessing, you know, we're looking at how they interact, what the first impressions look like, who do they spend time with, what do they do when they think we're not paying attention, you know. So we're testing that empathy. And even between that, body language, does this person smile? <laughs> you know, are they naturally, do they feel a warm person? Would I, would I like to hang out with them? Do I want to know more? Am I interested in them? Are they interested in me? So there's a few tests that, and they say there's more science behind that. And then as a third stage, then we look at competencies. Then wow. we look so at the competencies skills. come, come the final stage, yeah. And is this the process for even entry-level positions? Mm-hmm. The, there is a slightly streamlined process at the most entry level. But ultimately, the thing that gets streamlined is the competencies because we expect that person probably hasn't had a lot of career experience, but we're just as robust in terms of cultural fit coming in and trialing with us and talking a little bit about their experience so far. That experience might be small. It might be some time at university. It might be uh, some volunteering projects, but we still want to have that. So the, yes, we do streamline it slightly at the entry level, but it's the competency bit that gets streamlined, not the rest. That's amazing. That's also very rare. Mm. You've gotten into tech or the ecosystem at a senior level. Is it tempting for you to give... more people break like will you be a, a, a receptive of people who've never worked in tech before more than others because of that yeah yes i asked that yes, question in the yes. worst possible I, way I, i don't know if that is because i have segued in from another industry or whether or whether that is a contributing factor but yes is the answer i i here's an interesting fact firstly i we are kind of in tech i i kind of think of us in various areas ultimately i still see it as a hospitality business and again that might just be my perspective because of my context on it but what you might find interesting then is that we have of the membership managers we've hired i think currently none of them come from a background of being a membership manager in a in a community in a co-working business in a relative in a in a relevant field They come from other industries, every single one of them. Um, most recent, more senior hire I hired are an uh, um, amazing person, Yana, who heads up our sales in, in the co-working business, who came from a sales advertising background, has never worked in co-working, never, not familiar with it. We didn't go to the property company. We didn't go to other co-working businesses, and, and we intentionally hired from outside. Well, I want to pause here for one second <clears throat> because you have a, an especially lengthy career hiring process even for entry-level jobs mm. and what helps you and, and you hire people often who haven't worked in that profession role industry before yeah so that's very true to the higher slow part of the ethos yeah and what I think where you make up for the time is in culture because culture teaches people how to behave in a less uh, direct way mm. this is how we behave this is how we handle conflict. more than that It does, but it, like I said, it, it, is, it is less a guide of this is how you must behave and more a tool for us to go, let's find people who already behave this way. And that makes it very easy because you're not having to adjust or learn how to fit in. You already fit in. And I think that's what's interesting. So, you know, Jan is a really good example of someone who is an incredible fit for our team. And, and that's just been proven with her time with us. You know, I hope she won't mind me saying all that. But, um, you know, there, there was no teaching you, here's the culture. It was, you are... right for us we want to work with you we want to be around you and you're, you're going to be an amazing fit from day one so i completely agree with you but i think it's less about here are, here is the here is the bible on how to behave it's you are already behaving in the right way so be you and continue to reinforce that and bring that to, to this role and and that being so key right and like you say that's the bit we don't have to necessarily on board as it were so what's your advice to people who are outside of a certain industry and want to break into let's say tech i'll try to give some advice i don't know how I mean, I obviously have had the opportunity to do it. My story was that I was sort of 
but it felt comfortable moseying along. I was working in a business that I, I loved with some really great people. And, you know, I will say that in, in my last hospitality role, and this kind of came out of the blue through a mutual connection with Elliot. And, and, and it ultimately transpired that I felt this was a great move. And, you know, it was a case of being, hopefully felt like being called in the sense that I, you know, I was quite happy and, and this has made me even happier. So I suppose I was lucky. And they were also consciously looking for somebody with that hospitality background. So that helped. I think the best thing I can say is understanding that a lot of the skill sets now that I think people are, are really starting to value are the soft skills and those transferable skills that are very general that work in a lot of contexts. So try and think about beyond what your specialism is, what what is it that you do that can apply everywhere? So for me, I think that would be the service piece, the standards. I hope I'm a good manager and good leader and work hard on that and try to be a coach to others, less because I know their game better than they do, more because I hope I can trigger the right things and create an environment that they will do well in. And for me, those skill sets are transferable to whatever sector, really. They're not they're not defined by sector. Um, and that isn't about my knowledge of food and beverage in that market. So I suppose the best advice I can suggest is think about the skills that apply everywhere or, or across broad ranges and really double down on those and be excellent at those and develop those within your workplace if you can, within the organisation you're in. But if you have to take it into your own hands as well, do so. You know, if you enjoy if you enjoy it and you're passionate about it, follow that passion, read, listen. Everything's so accessible these days. You know, paid for learning, it still absolutely has a place. But even if you if you're not in a position to do that, there's so much out there. You know, we're all listening to podcasts on the tube every morning and to the point of, you know, <laughs> too much food for the brain. Too much food. Um, and I've just actually myself had to take a little friction break just to break it up. But um there's so much out there between you know, what's online and podcasts and YouTube and anything else, you can really learn a hell of a lot on your own back before investing in it, and you know, any further. So I think if you can get really great at those things, hopefully people will take notice. It will take a type of person who's open to it. Not everybody will have that mindset that they will take somebody. And sometimes you are looking for something specific. I can say even within our organization, there are roles where it has to be fairly specific. You know, we hired a workplace designer recently you had to have a background in workplace design. Um, that's a very skill set role. Um, we hired a product manager. You had to have a background in tech and product management. But there will be plenty of roles out there that are looking for those broader, transferable, softer skills, as they're called. Yeah. Softer by name, but not, not by nature, because they're the things that really allow you to flourish. And actually, you can learn the hard skills of a role. You just have to apply yourself and learn. You know, it's, it's not that difficult, depending on the role. Soft skills, it sounds like... the name discounts undermines it so it's just a different way of thinking about those things um, what is about you that uh, makes uh, makes you uh, loved by the people around you you know what do people call you for advice on and once you start mapping and identifying those patterns you can you can pluck a skill mm. out of the things that are already happening in your life and these are the skills you'd want to bring forward when looking for a, when looking for a job. 100%. You have this stuff. And I think everybody is developing these, whether they realize it or not. It's probably just bringing them to the front and be more conscious of them. So you had to go through a pretty steep learning curve. Yeah. Um, you, had, you had those skills, but you had to learn a new business, mm-hmm. a new industry, working with two founders and cover three disciplines, operations, membership, and sales. Who mentored you, taught you, brought you in, So I, I work closely with Elliot. Um, What's Elliot's role in the company? So, I mean, Elliot and David, the founders, have a, have a kind of rough division of labor that David generally works on new business. Um, he, works, he manages the property teams, the marketing team, looks at new potential locations and, 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 the, and the front end, where Elliot generally focuses on the business as it is and, and operating and, and, and running the business that exists that's a loose split they obviously involve themselves in in both but i suppose in my context of running the existing yeah. portfolio as, as most of what i do elliot is my line manager and is the person i work with the closest so i suppose he's the closest to a mentor bringing me into that but i think and this suits me really really well and i don't know if it's just elliot being incredibly intuitive uh, or good fortune but he left me very a lot of room a lot of freedom to find my own feet And find my way he was not afraid to share feedback and he was not afraid to guide and direct but it was very much trust of here you know you're intelligent enough and, and and you have the capacity to do this role well um go and figure it out work out what you think you need to focus on the role 
obviously we discussed what he would be wanting. You know, I see that as a bit of a, what does success look like for you? And that's hidden in that job description and you understand what you're there to do ultimately. And that's the contribution you need to make. So there's your masthead and stay close to that. But ultimately he gave me room to figure it out. And I don't, I mean, I don't think our business is overly complex at the, at the, at the core. You know, we take leases on larger spaces and longer leases, I guess. And we break that into smaller spaces with more flexible time. And that's what we sell. So understanding that model isn't too difficult and understanding that it's an experience. And, and, and this is something that Elliot really was very clear on that it is a hospitality experience. And that's one of the things that hopefully differentiates us in the marketplace uh, and really applying that. And that is my background. So that was quite straightforward. I'm not sure people understand your, your kind of discounting the complexity of your space because mm. everyone knows about WeWalk, everything that went down. Yeah. So that side of the story a, a failed IPO, disgraced, and I'm doing like a quote-unquote mm. a, a, a CEO and founder that was, uh, that was kicked out. Everyone knows that. Yeah. The other part is the day-to-day -day reality of setting up a location and having a competitor set up just across the street from you and then giving people one year free yeah. on their lease just so they go into their space instead of yours. Like, fine, there's the business model, but there is that level of day-to-day complexity to it yeah um perhaps i was more resilient to that because that's kind of the hospitality game too you know you you, you don't see a bar or restaurant without a hundred next door you know that's pretty normal and undercutting people is normal and offering better deals is normal and you know a pint of beer is a pint of beer to a point so you know what price are you going to go for and for me that was really normal that kind of very aggressive landscape is something that i was really used to i don't feel it quite so much in in, in, in co-working, I think maybe hospitality, food and beverage hospitality is, is, is as saturated as it can get. And, and this is why some people are really, you know, have had some tough times. So perhaps I wasn't so sensitive to that. I think, yeah, you reference some different business models and, you know, the interesting <laughs> thing about the WeWork story is that they will now have to compete fairly with everybody and they'll need to make money and they, they won't. Yeah. Their, their model was... Capital is a strategy. This is where it ended. Yeah. Injecting money into a business that doesn't stand on its own two legs uh, uh, got them to where they are. Was that part of your um, professional history mentioned in your hiring process? The kind of competitor landscape? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. And I think that tallies with what I think of how Elliot and David see the business too, which is I think there's a really good focus on what we're doing. And it's not, at the, it, it's not head in your sand, let's not care about everything else out there. It's not a, certainly not arrogance. It's, it's, it's more humility than arrogance. But we have so much that we know we want to work on and so much we want to improve on in our own business that that's our focus. And we tend not to take too much from other providers or worry too much. We're aware of what's happening, but worry too much about what others are doing. And our, our general principle is if we can really do what we do well and understand that the market is maturing. And again, referencing the hospitality market in this, That's a mature market. You know the difference between a Bob Bob Ricard and a Weatherspoons. You know, you understand segments in the market and you understand that price point follows segment. And the experience and your expectations change. And you understand that there is a difference between a restaurant that is offering a fish menu versus a, a, a vegan menu and you're expecting different things. The same is, is, is true of co-working. It's just a young market and people maybe who haven't experienced it don't know that yet, but they will. And they'll experience and they'll get a little bit more savvy And customers will choose what they're looking for at a more intellectual and more niche level. So I think for us, it's about understanding where do we sit? And this goes back to the favorite comment. This goes back to believing we're a space where we can help teams be happier than maybe other environments. And it's really trying to lead the way in the things that we feel are really, really valuable and really, really important. And that is our focus. And ultimately, we're hoping that that will be what distinguishes us. And that, that can't be too defined by what others do because they're different. You know, and, and I think there's a really good set of operators in this industry, more joining all the time. I went to a wonderful co-working space, not afraid to talk about them, that the Hoxton Hotel have opened in Southwark. And I'm a big fan of the Hoxton from my hospitality days. They've, they've ventured into it. I think they're going to do a really good job. But they offer a very different product to what we do. And I think that's key is to focus on what you, and maybe this, maybe this is applicable to people with, with their own businesses uh, that might be listening. I don't know, but really understanding what you do well and also understanding what your customers want the most because you can't be amazing at everything and it's okay that you know there's that triangle of i think in the in the product world there's a triangle of 
quality, price, and speed. You can have two out of three, but not all, all three. You can't have a cheap product really quickly that's of amazing quality. And it's the same in, in service, um, which is that you need to decide where you're going to be really great and focus on those things and be the best at those things. And that may, may involve sacrificing in some other areas. Service. Uh, service in uh, the co-working industry. Um, you're working with startups. You see a lot of companies. And service also means being very empathical when companies go bust. Mm. When, you know, they have to uh, close shop. Yeah, it's a, a difficult area. We, like I said, we really put a huge focus on empathy. One of our values is around being really personal, which is about personal service and a style of service, but also building relationships with people. It's a business, but I feel like we, or our team certainly have a really close bond with their members and their community. So it's hard hitting. And I think all I can say on that is, of course, we have, we're a business too, and we have to, we have to operate and we have to survive and we have to have policies and they're all well laid out and all, you know very very upfront I think we're, we're good at being very clear and very transparent about what we're offering and that has generally served us very well and there's also within that got to be some empathy and understanding so all I really can say on that one is that we hire great people who are intelligent empathetic and um, have a high emotional IQ but also understand their goals and the business goals and we empower them to make smart decisions and not every situation is created equal and And we try to be as human as we can. The innovation ecosystem is, uh, you know, we rely on one another. It's a kind of like a self-sustaining community in a way. Talent moves around very fluidly between companies. Yeah. Uh, founders who have started a company are, you know, most likely to start another one eventually. So playing the long game here is, is huge and it's crucial. And uh, it's good to see something like that as well. It's playing the long game, I suppose, commercially, but, but more than that, it's just trying to be good humans, you know, and trying to do the right thing. And, and the right thing is also includes work, protecting work life, but it's also about trying to really understand the situation from everybody's point of view and try to create an outcome that is the best balance for everybody. Let's talk about um, empathy now. We, had, we talked about empathy in the team. We talked about empathy in the customer. I want to talk about empathy and managing up. Mm-hmm. First, maybe before that, what was the hiring process for you in your role? Because I think it will answer some of that questions okay. I have there. High level, it was the process I've talked you through for all of our roles. Um, obviously, I didn't know that at the time. Hopefully, we've had, I feel like we've, we've iterated and I hopefully have contributed some extras to that since then. But ultimately, it was that process. I started with some really good conversations with Elliot over the phone to sort of I suppose litmus test that synergy on both sides was there already a title uh, in discussion yeah there were there were a couple of titles and I okay. saw a few different pieces of paper with a few different titles on it as I think they were figuring it out but ultimately I think we agreed on the sentiment um, so, so it's important because the first iteration the first offer you saw the first uh, whatever email that came in said one title but this had moved and you had to be tolerant for these changes as you were figuring it out on your own oh yeah completely and I don't think it's changed what the roles look like and I will say that I never really been too interested in all of that at what I mean it, at one point it was a general manager title and it became a head of operations title but ultimately it didn't change what the role was for it didn't change the scope of the role and the expectations on the role so what was change. the what was the what was the importance of, of title in that regard for me nothing um for the business for for, for Elliot, I suppose and, and those hiring I, I think ultimately in my previous role as an ops director with a with a hospitality company you My reports were called general managers they, they were general managers of their of their various restaurants and, and bars and I think it was just not underplaying the role in my mind because it's a title I was used to managing I think that was it but the the title general manager in the, the context like work life is a, is a, is a different is a different thing so I think it was more to I suppose defend against my ego yeah which luckily I don't, I don't think I have it's a it's a The titles matter, the, the roles stay the same, but the yeah. title matter because we're telling a story here, mm-hmm. internally and externally. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's a key part. Here's my issue with titles, maybe in terms of my example, that the best I can give is taking a title like operations, head of operations. A lot of it's about what people think that word means. What is operations? And it's a, it's a specialist role. I don't think of myself as an operator. I, and, and also, 
on the other side of the coin is everything's an operation if you if you want it to be right so where does the land lie and i think that's where titles can be interesting in terms of just avoiding confusion i do see myself more as a general manager in terms of how i go about my role hopefully that's what the expectations are i see myself like i said earlier as a facilitator of other teams to be great i try to think about how teams work together how vision is shared how people feedback and collaborate and how to enable others and how to remove things that are stopping them getting to where they want to be and i spend much more time on that than operating i will take responsibility when it comes to how we logistically deliver the product but that's a very small part of the role value millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week individual results may vary this is Paige, the co-host of giggly squad and i want to tell you about a company that i've been loving olive in june olive in june gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box and if you break it down it really comes out to two dollars a manicure which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is what's important. What value are you bringing the business? And that can take any form, really. There'll be areas that it's right that you take the lead in because you'll be brilliant. And there are areas that might traditionally have sat under that role, but you might have to be honest and say, actually, this isn't my area of expertise. This person over here is, is really well set out to do it. They'd love to do it. And maybe they should take the lead. And actually, that's, surely that's a much better set out for an organization than saying, well, no, it falls under marketing and you're head of marketing, so you need to do it. And I think that's the way I've interpreted it. I, I think about what contribution, what value can I bring? Where can I be useful? If it feels right that I should step forward, I, I yeah. will. And if it feels like it's not a strong area for me, I'll try to be honest, but also try and be proactive about finding a team of people or curating a, a group to achieve it that yeah. might be better fitted for it and i think that's hopefully if you're in an organization that allows for that and the other thing about titles is say it is important for the depending on context you might be in an organization that it, it unlocks doors or allows you to have conversations that you might need to have so i suppose that's where the compromise is you hire people in a professional capacity when the company reaches a critical mass of success yeah and that is a point of infliction because you bring in people to execute your vision, but you bring them because of who they are and what they've done professionally. So there is a balance between giving them the autonomy and the decision-making power in doing their job well, but there is the other side of it, which is how well are they executing my vision? Yeah. Not just how well are they doing the role. And I'd love to hear from you about your experience in that position and what created this really tight relationship that you have with the founders sure i would say i'm fortunate and and, and you know i've referenced that already even working for founders who not only give me the space to perform the role execute the vision but also help form the vision i think that's really key and feel invested in that so i feel that responsibility i think that's good hiring that you know you you want to bring in people i guess who understand both they're capable of delivering the job, but also capable of moving towards the vision and the, and the bigger picture. And I think that's that's got to be captured in the people that you put into those roles. And I think being able to think at that level and think that strategically is part of a role like that. But then you also need 
you need synergy, you need trust. I think you need to feel trust. So speaking from my perspective is I need to feel the trust that Ellie and David think I've I've got a grasp of it and they're happy for me to manoeuvre without needing to know what's happening every, you know, every day, every few minutes. And I think I, well, I feel that certainly in my environment. Um, How would you gauge trust? In my world, I have regular contact with both of them. I don't feel like I'm reporting in. I feel like I'm sharing my story a little bit and what's what's going on in the world you know i feel like i'm leading what i'm working on with their contributions and i think that to me is an environment where i feel that trust i think if you didn't have the trust i would imagine it's the other side of that which is what are you working on how is it going metrics kpis around things this is how i want it to look can you deliver on that and i would imagine those are the conversations you would be having in a less trusting environment If you're trusted to execute someone else's vision, you know, you have, you have the, the power to make or break it in, in, in a certain way. And you need to also stop and say to your manager and say, hey, thank you for trusting me with this, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right to bring up the gratefulness. I also think you need to feel the pressure of that. I mean, that's healthy. And you also have to have some confidence in yourself that you can carry that. burden that responsibility let's say that you are carrying somebody else's vision over the finish line hopefully yeah. um and you have to be comfortable with that and, and believe you can also if you believe you can't you need to say something about it i think that's only fair i think that's only fair um but you're right it's it's something that it's perhaps you don't notice until you don't have it yeah and, and i 100%. certainly do so 100 <laughs> when you lose that trust you would know and there's i don't think there's a way back so if you're listening and you feel trusted Take a second to be grateful for that and acknowledge that trust because it comes with a big responsibility. We talked about retention earlier um, and we live in a world where it's very easy to kind of think the grass is greener. It's very easy to access through social media or whatever and people kind of, don't forget people are highlighting the best of what they're doing. It's certainly not the worst of. And I think if you are, if you are in scenarios where you have things like trust, that's super valuable and don't, Don't discount that too readily because somebody's offering you two grand more to grand the corner you know that's huge what makes you a good partner uh, to your founders what are your skills and traits that make you good at, mm. at not of your job of operations but at your job of supporting the founders yeah good question I enjoy I enjoy working on what we work on first and foremost I think that's important I'm a self-starter I like to come into work every morning and work on things I get excited for that so I think that puts me in a position where at least I'm hopefully raring to go and <laughs> to take on that mantle I think in terms of supporting them i I think I'm a a hard worker who can produce a lot of output. I learned that in the hospitality world. I learned that from certain people and in certain companies where they were pretty cutthroat, pretty ruthless, and that bias to action was incredibly heavy bias to action yeah, which I think is a really key thing that that people for people to kind of think about and and I like to see demonstrated in 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 the people in my teams but I think what that means is i'm able to support them by executing and I think that's a big piece because founders often are visionary and have a real ability to innovate and create and think about ideas perhaps one of the ways I can serve is to take those ideas and turn them into real tangible things so okay how are we going to deliver it what does it mean in practice how do we implement that into the business that we've got what impact will that have what are the consequences of that and try to turn it into something that actually makes a difference to their organization I think that's something that I enjoy doing and, and you know, I particularly enjoy working on problems with Elliot. I say problems, it's, we're very lucky in terms of not really having problems, but, but working on innovations and working on new ideas. And I think that's probably one of the main ways I can support them. Um, I'm really passionate about people in terms of people ops and organizational design and also behavior within an organization. I think that's something I just have found I enjoy a lot. And I think there was a need for that, particularly in terms of where work life is. was or it, and is still to a point in its journey it had grown very quickly and a lot of the organizational systems ways of working and thinking that had served it well to that point and processes and uh, had were now a little stretched at the seams because what works when you're two or three spaces doesn't necessarily work when you're ten spaces and you're you're now national and you have grand visions of doubling that portfolio you know so we have to evolve quickly and I think you One of the big areas was around how we work in an organization that isn't now able to see each other every five minutes and is becoming more remote and with a larger central team and perhaps less slightly less 
at the space level of, as a manager of allocation, I'm an entrepreneur and I make all the decisions to, we have specialists now in the support team who are going to make some of those decisions on your behalf or collaborate with you, or you will need to take advice from the marketing experts and the sales experts for the better and greater good of the business being in transition. I think specifically in my context, I was able to contribute in that and helping that mentality change and that slight organizational shift to a scenario now that allows us to be a lot more scalable and has resolved some of those pain points. And that I think, as you rightly say, I'm not a huge fan of, I'm not very boastful, but I do think that's something I'm quite proud of uh, having worked on. And this couldn't have been achieved without trust because you're working in a fragmented space quite literally. You yeah. can't be in all 10 locations at the same time. So trust becomes really important, right? Without that, that nothing place. happens. Like there will be locations you haven't been to this <clears throat> week or even this month. So trust is fundamental. So being able to foster it, to get it, to, uh, to re-earn it is, uh, is huge. Yeah. And, and empowerment as well, uh, equally, as you rightly say. You have to trust people and you have to empower them to make decisions because decisions won't wait for you to get around to it. But you also work as operations with a lot of people who are non-tech, by definition. Contractors, construction workers, yeah. uh, uh, some, I guess, uh, municipality type people. Any advice on context switching? Because, you know, you're yeah. here, you're here, you're here. It's a good one, actually. In terms of advice, I don't know. I think it's, you need to be present in the conversations you're having. You need to pitch it right. And you need to think about your audience. And, and I mean, that's pretty, you know, common sense, I think. But it's being able to apply that, I guess. It's understanding that the conversation you're having with the founder and the conversation you're having with, you know, in my, in my role, a membership assistant who, who, who's just joined the business are... are different audiences and they'll be looking for different things from you and you'll need to pitch it right. You need to get it right for the audience to understand what you're trying to communicate and get the level right. I also think it's important to note that that's my responsibility, not theirs, to adjust to me. I need to adjust for them. And I guess, I mean, I guess I'm quite practiced at it. You get a sense, of, you, get a, 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 you develop an EQ for how people communicate and what presses their buttons and Ultimately, the goal is to get the best out of the situation, get the best out of the conversation. If, it's, if you're trying to persuade someone or push something, you know, you have a, a point you're trying to make, then it's that. And if it's about getting them to open up and trust you and talk to you, then it's that. But it's understanding what you're trying to get out of it, pitching it right and, and, and being present. One last anecdote is the last thing, transferable hospitality. Hmm. You walked into a cafe a few, a few months ago and seeing your eyes jump off the walls, that burnt light bulb, that person who's not wearing their apron, that person who's with his back to the, to the customer, the time it took them to give us our change. Even I think you commented about the stickiness of the uh, keypad when we... Only to you quietly, not to the staff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> only to me quietly. But, uh, but an understanding of what excellent looks like uh, in your world, in your role, in your profession is, uh, I think it's huge. And I love seeing it at work life. Every time I walk in and I wish you guys all the best. Paul, before we wrap up, anything else you'd want to bring forward or promote? Not really uh, looking to promote anything. Obviously, please, if you're if you're <laughs> looking for what we do and want to check work life out, I'd, I'd love for visitors. We're at work.life on Instagram and uh, work.life is our website and you'll find everything there. We've got a really interesting blog. One of the things we haven't talked about so much is our focus on happiness and work happiness and we're running a really... Uh, a really cool podcast series of our own right now on, on that subject. So some really cool speakers. So would love for anyone to check that out. And just to say, you know, it is a it is an incredible team of people that achieve this. So, you know, credit where it's due. A lot of a lot of work from a lot of people goes into what, what we're lucky enough to have. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Tal. Great to see you again. Likewise, Billy. See you soon. Took a podcast for us to have a proper catch up. Yes, it did. <laughs> Thank you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.